following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be discussing common terms that are often misused in psychology today on Drinks and Strings. Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. I'm John Deku. And I'm Ingo Weigold. And today we have uh, an article that you found that I thought was super, super interesting because you know me, I'm always getting on my high horse and complaining about things. And you found one that really aligns with some of those thoughts that I have. But before we even do so, tell me, Ingo, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. You know, I, I um, am struggling a little with allergies at the moment. This is that time in the Midwest where things are pollinating and uh, growing and it happens. seems like everything is, is growing at the same time right now. And that's kind of messing with my, some days I feel really sluggish and other days it doesn't affect me. But today I'm having like, I have a headache all day. But Are you growing? I could be growing. Maybe. Hopefully not too fast. No? Are you growing like spiritually or psychologically? Or you just been stagnant and dead I, for I feel years. like I'm growing out. I've been eating <laughs> too much eating, stress eating. Um, Horizontally, yeah. No, I. it's funny you ask because uh, psychologically, I don't know. But I would say spiritually, I'm back into the space of exploring. Um, I've been trying to be more creative and writing more like music-wise. And I think those two go hand in hand for me, like exploring spiritual spirituality along with like writing and do creating stuff like it seems as i've been working on that in some ways um but how are you doing pretty good i was uh in mexico recently oh yeah we're in mexico i was in cancun for a wedding and i no matter there was a many days when i put on sunscreen three or four times for those of you who don't know i'm pretty fair-skinned and no matter what i did i still got burnt and tanned and I'm not at a stage where I'm interested in getting tan anymore. So I'm not mad, but it's like... You prefer to be stark white? No not, tan? Yeah, it's stark white, but like people age better when they don't tan, you know? Yeah. And you get less like Wrinkles? skin cancer, less wrinkles, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just am... I'm at a stage where I'm like, I'm not too full of myself to be like, I need to look really good now. Um, I'd rather invest in my health as I get older. But it was still a great time, and it got me to practice my Spanish and just have a lot of fun and drink too much and eat too much and get too much sun, But which is a great thing. Yeah, and did you have some tequila while you were down there? I might have tried tequila once or twice, yeah. Um, okay. Do you, uh, do you have some history with tequila, too? Well, I like tequila. You do? Yeah, but, you know, it seems like it's, it's the only alcohol that, affects me in a way where i'm like i get super energetic and Mm. somewhat boisterous and outgoing Mm -hmm. like i don't know what it is that's in tequila but if i and it i think obviously when you have it and you know in college it was like shooters which doesn't taste great but now you have it in like a mixed drink or if you have a nice mezcal you can Mm -hmm. drink on the rocks but it it like um to use a, a young person's term it hits different than other things so yeah i tend to find that if i go out and have like tequila uh i I don't know sometimes i get a little wild and crazy so i try to avoid too much tequila whenever possible i have a friend who says when he drinks whiskey he stays up all night really and it's odd for him it's like coffee i'm like that's a weird reaction it is weird but yeah it's and it's what's interesting about tequila is everyone has a tequila story Oh, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. people, for whatever reason, say, oh, I can't drink tequila anymore. But they'll say like, oh, I'll drink whiskey. Or mm-hmm. I'll drink vodka or whatever. But there's always a, it's it's this one thing. It's almost like country, country music. Mm-hmm. People either love it or hate it, you know. They do. There's really not like, yeah, I kind of like country. Yeah, I kind of like tequila. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm kind of there. Though. I don't have a big opinion. No, but a margarita on a nice warm day is oh. kind of nice with some salt on it. it you know, you just kind of hang out and sip on that. Something yeah. cool to drink. Oh, yeah. It doesn't Melody. get better than that. Yeah. Yes, I definitely had a few margaritas. So so things are going well for me as well. And what do you want to, uh, anything you want to say before we jump into our article we have here? 
No, I think this is a great article. We were just talking about this on the last podcast or the one before that. Mm-hmm. Like some of the, I think you were specifically talking about gaslighting. So I'm excited to dive into this. So why don't we go ahead and do that? Do you want to start it off? Sure. The article is uh, by uh, Time.com or Time Magazine um, from, uh, um, I guess, a few weeks ago, March, March 15, 2023. It's called Gaslighting, Narcissist, and More Psychology Terms You Are Misusing. So they have a bunch. There's probably a good 10 here maybe that they talk about. I don't know what you want to start with, but we can start with whatever. What if we just quickly gave some of our thoughts on each of these terms? Like okay. we've talked about gaslighting. So I don't think we need to go too much into uh-huh. it, but um, I think people kind of see gaslighting. <laughs> I find a lot of younger people say like, you're, people will say like, you're gaslighting me. Mm-hmm. But that can almost just be that they're disagreeing or like they have a different opinion. Right. And... What is gaslighting actually, though? Well, that is not gaslighting, right? And and I think it does get misused a lot because it, it, I feel like uh, people use it in a way. If you anything you do that upsets me, you're now gaslighting me because they can view it as throwing gas on the fire because they're already angry, right? But like gaslighting in general, um, you had talked about the movie that it, it's called Gaslight, right? From 1944. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's 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 a gaslighting is, is kind of the intent of it is, is to try to make you not um, see your own reality as real. So it's like something, something you believe to be true that is actually true. Someone might tell you the opposite. That's not what happened. And getting like, you to doubt yourself. Right. And, and that creates internal distress because now you're saying, well, I must, I'm not perceiving this correctly or something. And you're telling me that this thing I know is true is not true. And then now you feel upset. And then the, the, a lot of times this is used as a way to, uh, a defense people use to try to like divert arguments in a different direction, keep you off balance, get you talking about not actually the issue. Because uh-huh. it creates such a, it's like an, you have an emotional reaction. Like you're just like, it's like somebody, you know, kind of coming into your space and saying like, this isn't real, mm-hmm. you know? So that's exactly. how I view it. No, I'm 100% with you there too. Why do we, just I think the premise of this article leads to the question, why is it important to get these terms right, in your opinion? Mm, well, I mean, I think that these buzzwords are used in a way that they're almost flippant on the internet, and I think that creates, it minimizes what they actually mean in reality, because all of these terms on this list are actually, um, you know, I don't know, there's a whole bunch. But they're clinical words in a way that, that actually have a set of symptoms with them usually or, or an outcome that like, in the case of gaslighting, the person who's being gaslighted is very distressed. But it's specific, it's specific. It's not, doesn't mean all distress. Just because I go, well, I don't like the bulls, John. That's not me gaslighting you. That's just me disagreeing, right? I have a different opinion. Right, yeah. that's not the same. But people are using it broadly as a way I think of, uh, it's dangerous because it minimizes what the term actually means and it also gives too much license to like, um, I don't know, be soft and I, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm saying it the way I mean it. Yeah, but. well and I think uh, an outcome of using these kinds of words inaccurately is that people who do struggle with these things, if they do say I'm in a relationship and I think my partner is gaslighting me, mm-hmm. it really undermines the how um the credibility of that person's suffering yeah and so by i think i think lay people owe it to themselves to get these words right and understand it but then clinicians especially i i think there are words like narcissist that i think people are allowed to say colloquially i shouldn't say allowed but i think you know it's understandable to say colloquially but i don't think that it's another thing to be like that person is a narcissist or has narcissistic personality disorder because that's like a big thing, you know, huge thing. Yes, that is very complex. But we'll we'll get to that one too in a in a minute. Uh, what about traumatized? That was the next word that they had. <laughs> like I've been traumatized by this. Well, it's used very loosely, loosely, and I think trauma in its general sense is hard sometimes because everyone experiences trauma in different ways, and it's it you can't you can't. Like, it's hard to rate your trauma versus my trauma necessarily, but I think it gets used way too loosely um, because 
what it really means is like in this in the case of this article talks about PTSD, you know, post traumatic stress disorder. Um, when you have been traumatized in a certain way, let's say you are a soldier who goes to war and a bunch of people die in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. And there was explosions and gunshots, and now you—that's you, trauma, mm-hmm. right? You, you've experienced it. So when you when there's a storm and you hear thunder, you might crawl under your bed and be so scared because it brings you back to that point of trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's intense, right? And people go, "Well, you gave me the wrong coffee, and I'm traumatized because I drank." the wrong coffee you know that people use it that loosely and you see like the silliness of like saying i'm traumatized because i didn't get my correct cup of coffee versus i'm traumatized because i saw a bunch of people die and Mm -hmm. you know so i think it minimizes the term again like exactly you know so and then those people that are suffering in that case i think when they try to talk about it they have to really like exaggerate yes or add more colorful language because they can't just say like i experienced the trauma i think I think we've talked about, I know we've talked about trauma before, but it's a funny thing where right now in mental health, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, where we get the language for mental health concepts, mm-hmm. um, it says for PTSD, which is the most common or most well-known response to a traumatic experience, is that you have to have, I think, experienced yourself or directly witnessed, um, like, the, the but, traumatic event yeah and the traumatic okay. event needs to be like physical violence sexual violence i think it's just those two or it needs to be someone that you're family with and you heard about it with them mm-hmm. but i think what we're finding is that that language is too narrow um the language i just kind of came up thinking about it was a life-changing response to a ho- to a horrible event um and i think if someone is willing to say like I got an argument with my neighbor and it was traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're willing to say that, I'd say like, okay, I think you're allowed to feel like it was really, mm-hmm. and to me, it was a life-changing response to a horrible event. But then I think we want to say like that there's a spectrum of traumas. On the one end is like you said, horrible, horrible war events. Mm-hmm. Another one is smaller things, but those small things could still change us. But I, to me, it doesn't feel right to call it a trauma still. So I agree with you. I think the word Big trauma- Big T, little T? <laughs> that's and that's one answer people have come up with yeah. is they've said big T versus little T, but then it still is like I don't know. It's you don't really get that when you say I've been traumatized. Still, you're not saying I've been big T traumatized or little T. Tra- it, you know, there's yeah. I think we need better language for it. Um, but in any case, it's I think that's another word that we're using incorrectly. Um, triggered is an, is the next one we have here. Oh, triggered. Yes. That's like so commonly thrown around now, especially the teens I work with. Oh, I was triggered. It was triggering. This yeah. thing is triggering. Trigger yeah. warning. You have trigger warnings on everything. Sure. Right? Um, what does it mean to you? Like, I think this one's, I think some of these really hit it on the nose. It's like, this is definitely overused. And, this one, and then there's other ones where I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure. Um, this one, I think I'm a little bit in the middle where, in general, I think it's a stimuli that activates a trauma response or activates some response that is extremely difficult to manage mm-hmm. what you do as a result of that. And the examples they give here were like an easy one is with trauma. Like you said, if you hear fireworks and you've been to war, then you go under bed. But another one could be if you're someone who is recovering from alcohol and then you're at a social gathering and people are drinking, that can be one in which we might they might call it triggering where it's ex- it puts them in a very high level of distress too and i think that's what when people use that term they they're saying i'm triggered what they're saying is i've been distressed but really with many of these terms it's the amount of distress that you're experiencing or mm-hmm. the amount of the trauma that you're saying that you right. have it isn't just adversity it is horrible adversity and right i think to be triggered isn't just like i'm uncomfortable i've been distressed it is like it is an overwhelming situation that makes it so I have to really change my environment where I'm at. I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I just, I struggle with this trauma triggered situation because it's like you don't want to minimize someone's distress, but you also kind of like have to be objective in some way and be like, I mean, you got in an argument with your neighbor. That is not the same as like, watching your child get murdered in front of you for example right and i'm not trying to minimize the argument but it just isn't the same right so 
when people come in and they and they have experienced trauma and i don't like rate the trauma necessarily but i try to make sense of like if if the response to the trauma is is sensible like does it make sense to me and if it doesn't in the case of like someone says i got in an argument with my neighbor and now i can't leave my house like i'm traumatized and i'm triggered right and i'm afraid to go anywhere right you kind of go all right well i understand that and i want to address it but it's like why does that stimulus which is a lot mo- less than something like getting watching why does that affect you so intensely most people would say is a lot less yeah yeah so and i don't want to minimize that but i'm saying like i think then my the way i approach it with people is different where if someone comes in and goes my child was murdered in front of me in a back alley in chicago and i saw the whole thing and they died in my arms like okay i think that that's that's a lot of trauma and that yeah. is that is traumatizing right and okay. seeing an, something like that in the news or whatever would be triggering or you know whatever so then we're treating it differently so i i just struggle with this like whole cuz i have a hard time with like today's society seems a little soft in a lot of ways and i think some of the less resilient people have used these very intense terms as a way of like um making it okay to be less resilient in some way. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, making it okay to be less resilient. Can you elaborate? Well, like someone who's really has a low stress tolerance, like extremely low and cannot function to a point in certain ways in life, they use these types of things. Well, it's triggering, it's traumatizing as a way to stay locked in that place and feel okay about it because now they've put themselves in the category of someone who has extreme PTSD or trauma like a child dying or war or whatever, even though they're just, you know, mm-hmm. am I making sense? I, yeah. And I think what this person comes down to is like subjective distress. And it's like, yes. this is why like when you go to the hospital, there's a pain meter and it can be very difficult to understand like, what is this person actually going through when everything is a nine or a 10? Yeah. And then you have other patients that are in the hospital and they're like, always, oh, they never get above a four over the course of their right. surgery recovery. And you can't, I think it's hard for doctors and nurses to say like, well, what do we do with that? And I think we're in the same boat where you like, I think the most genuine answer is just to be like, okay, that's really, really hard for you. And I guess right. what, what my approach would be is like, well, I guess I'm going to treat it like I would treat anything else, which is like, we're going to address that as if you had your child die in your arms, you know? Um, but it still seems, it definitely has a fishiness about it. I would be curious, like, that's a very strong response to something like that too and i would even be curious yeah. as to like why did that response come for you when i wouldn't have that question for somebody if their child died in their arms sirens in the background <laughs> i never know if people can hear these um i don't think they can whenever we're editing i don't hear it but yeah in any case well I, okay to, to further add to your point it's like um when the level of uh distress is a nine or 10 for everything that makes it difficult for us to treat. Like you said, because it's like, if you're that distressed by what happens when you have trauma, that's like a 10, actually a 10. Like if they're all tens, like, what does that mean? Are you, sometimes I wonder like, does that mean you're just trying to tell me how, how much you need someone to care for you? And it's, this is why like everything is so traumatizing is because you just want someone to see your pain you know, and you feel pain all the time and it's not necessarily the outside world that's causing it. It's like inside, you know, so you find like little markers like, oh, my pain is because this neighbor argued with me, you know, ver- versus you're someone who's been actually exposed to very traumatic things. Their pain is from the outside. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think what you're alluding to is like sometimes a goal of treatment is I am dramatizing a bit what my pain is to get you to see that I'm struggling. Right. It's that bad. Yeah. That an argument with a neighbor is as debilitating as someone who went to war. It could be be that they want the, I hate to, I don't like this word, but they want the attention. Perhaps. Or they want the compassion. Yeah. Or um, they want to be included in some kind of group, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And then that's just another goal that I think we have to kind of understand. At least I think both of us, if we were to work with someone, would be, I'd be cautious never to judge someone for having that reaction or to doubt them, but mm-hmm. I would be curious about the reaction. Um, next one is one that I'm really passionate about here, narcissist. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, <coughs> I don't know if you want to get me started here. So 
I think a narcissist is something people like to say about other people. And I think, um, as I was just saying earlier, I think we all are allowed to be like that person is narcissistic or whatever it might be. That's, um, that's, a, that's um, I don't think that's clinical language. But I th when I got beef is when people started diagnosing people with things like narcissistic personality disorder, which is an extremely complicated disorder that is way deeper than what the symptoms are in the DSM. And isn't it only like one or two percent of all people even have this? Yeah. It's, it's really low. It is. And I would wager even some of those are overdiagnosed. Yeah. Um, because like what the thing with many personality disorders is you need to be with those people and treating them or at least very intimate with them mm -hmm. and know them very personally and sit with them through their their symptoms many 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 times before you actually understand and you have to have the ability to apply the language you know like for example people with borderline personality disorder struggle with um overvaluing and devaluing their relationships mm -hmm. right and people may read that and say oh I, I actually know someone who said that donald trump has narcissistic personality dis i'm sorry has um borderline personality disorder i was like where the hell did you get that no yeah I don't... and it, it came from a lack of understanding because they read the criteria and then thought well this is what it is but it's you really have to understand what they were trying to go through with it and i'm not trying to gatekeep to say that other people can't learn that but i think we're being flippant about it too yeah. Is to just be like, well, that person has narcissistic. You can't just read the. Di this isn't one of these things where you can just read online and say like, well, that no. person has this. Then, um, well, a narcissistic personality disorder <coughs> individual is not very likely to be in any of these offices. Exactly. So, and why and, is that? Well, because nothing's wrong. They they don't have any problems. So, mm -hmm. um, and you got to remember too, like speaking, like you know, clinically, you have that borderline personality and histrionic like together and they're, they're antisocial yeah. and antisocial and they're very like similar mm -hmm. and there's a lot of close it, there's minor differences you know where like even you look at the dsm like john referenced earlier it's like you have to really dig to like okay here's the difference in this and that and they can seem similar and sometimes someone has one personality disorder and sometimes they act in a way that seems the other way so it's like mm -hmm. you know minor differences um but I agree, like, it's a buzzword, narcissist. He's narcissist. A lot of times, mostly men get, you know, labeled as such. And I think all of us have narcissistic tendencies because we need those in order to survive, mm -hmm. you know, and they're not all bad. Um, a true narcissist, though, with a personality disorder, um, that's a whole different thing. And someone like that may use stuff like gaslighting, like we talked about before, to try to get you to distort your reality, to get them... Um, to kind of change the dynamic and in some of my research uh previously to this show even i think it's very common for narcissistic personality disorder um and borderline personality to be together hmm. there's there's just a way that they interesting pl play together very um because a narcissist can use that we haven't talked about borderline here yet. No, we talked about maybe doing it, right? Yeah. Can use that fear of abandonment and that fear of intimacy. And it's like you can, he can, he or she can poke those buttons real easily. And for the borderline, it allows them to play out that dynamic real easily with someone like that. So it's like they just around and around they go, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, are you familiar with the term narcissistic injury? Uh, I believe so. You want to share? Well, because a, a lot of times what happens is is that the people who are labeled with narcissistic personality disorder, from my personal experience, um, like in the rooms, what they really encountered was a narcissistic injury from childhood, for example. Hmm. Like maybe they had a father or mother who maybe had this personality disorder. It was extremely narcissistic. And that person put on them such a, such a strong emotional injury that like, attack their defense mechanisms and uh, it's like painful to be any other way so they might act in a way that's a symptom of it would be like being overly perfectionist and like putting that on other people because they've been injured by someone who is narcissistic in a way and then the way you, it, it's difficult to heal it but mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if 
if that makes sense what I just said. Definitely. And what you're saying that that doesn't mean that they meet the symptomology of no. narcissistic personality disorder. They have similar behaviors yes. in, in moments in time, but they're not actually afflicted with the personality disorder. It's just a way of they've learned. So like if they had a father who was overly narcissistic and was really harsh and perfectionist and put all these things on this person growing up, um, they're not narcissistic, but they've been injured narcissistically by that person. So now they develop these defense mechanisms, perfectionism, whatever, trying to control their environment, and they put that on others. And it, they look like they're narcissistic, but they're actually not. They're just injured. And when you heal that injury, all of a sudden their life gets, and they stop doing that stuff. Well, theoretically, if it happens enough, that's what actually can develop into narcissistic personality. Yes. Is like yeah. that desire to, to really, I, I don't like myself. I really right. don't like who's inside of here. So I'm going to constantly one-up myself and put yep. others down, right? That's part of, I think, the treatment of it is, it is to learn how to let that go. But that takes, honestly, years many times. It takes years, and sometimes even after years, it's not better. No. So you might have moments in time where they're able to lower their guard and not do that, but then they go right back to, you know, it's hard to, you know, get that to stop. So We should talk about one of those personality disorders coming up here. It'd be too. fun. I know yeah. we thought about it before, and maybe I had thoughts. But anyways, let's, let's keep moving. I think there's a lot of... Uh, words on here do we want to go through all of them or do you uh, no i i think go ahead. why don't you go ahead and pick ones that i i'm open to any of them okay so. one I, I was wondering about was um toxic a person like a person is toxic mm -hmm. now how was that misused and what's like a more accurate one um i think toxic well the way they um the way they label it is as if someone in your life causes severe emotional damage, that is being toxic, right? Mm -hmm. And I would agree with that. Um, someone could have a toxic personality in that they're difficult to be with and they're always causing like problems in, in their relationships. Um, but people tend to do this, what I don't know, like that's toxic or this... Like a same thing, like gaslighting. Oh, you have a different viewpoint. Well, that's toxic. Mm -hmm. You know, the people do throw that around real, real easily. Um, I'm actually know. of the mind where I think this is one of those where I, I, I don't say I disagree with the article, but I think it's, I think people in general have it more accurate than, than other ones like narcissist. Okay. Because I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with being like. If you were to I think if you could be overly dramatic, you could say like that person's toxic because they disagree with me. But I haven't heard it many times be described like that. I personally think something is toxic when an environment is made where some of the worst features of people come out and they're not happy. So it could be like a workplace where there's a really okay. crappy boss who is maybe, you know, rude uh, gives bad reviews, criticizes, downplays their employees. Well, now everyone doesn't want to be there. They are unhappy. They're trying to one-up each other in order to make themselves impressive to their boss. Yeah, That seems like a toxic environment. And I, I think many people would use the word toxic there. Mm -hmm. I, personally, I'd say it's accurate. But Yeah, that sounds right. But I think if other people were, like, re maybe there are people who use the word toxic in a way that's way more loose or flippant and i mm -hmm. agree that's probably not accurate but I, no. I personally haven't heard many people say it like that no i i think that one out of, out of all the ones on the list you know i feel like i don't know it's used more accurately than not in my opinion like mm -hmm. i don't think it maybe even belongs on this list necessarily i agree and that's why i think there's some of these on this list where i'm like yeah i don't know i kind of can see i think most people use that generally fairly accurately. well yeah what about antisocial the word antisocial um well, are you talking about the personality disorder? Uh, no. This is when people say I'm antisocial, like I don't want to go out with into the to the party because I'm antisocial. Um. Well, the, what the article talks about is is like not wanting to be around other people and mm -hmm. using it for that. Um, when really antisocial is is a lot more. Um, I guess intense than that. Um, like antisocial personality disorder, for example, um, would be perhaps a lot of the criminals in jails that were in there for things like battery or murder or things would be possibly labeled as antisocial with, with that person because they have like impulsivity, lack of um, care or empathy for anyone, 
um, like emotional dysregulation, uh, of being aware of like other people's feelings. Like you don't, you don't have a good sense of like the things I do and how they affect you. You know, like I would be confused about the fact that you'd be upset. Like mm -hmm. that would hit you with a hammer, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, but it gets used like, oh, they're, they don't want to go out. So they're, they're, that person's just antisocial. That, I don't think yeah. that's accurate. No. And I think people are confusing the words too. Cause looking at the etym etymology, uh, there's a word that I think people could use, which is asocial. Okay. So when we add the word a to the beginning of a word, what it typically means is not. So uh, apathetic, right? Not having a lot of emotions towards something. Yeah. Um, anti is against. Well, yeah, because I looked, I Googled the definition and it says, contrary to the laws and customs of society, devoid of or antagonistic to sociable instincts or practices. And can you look up the word asocial too? And yeah. I think that's that's I th that's what I think people mean. There's a closer descriptor. Yeah, Re avoiding asocial is avoiding social interaction, inconsiderate of or hostile to others. Is a more extreme version. Mm -hmm. um, so I think when we say the word when people kind of leisurely use the word antisocial what they really mean is asocial because antisocial is is having no regard to the customs and norms of our society yeah and freely or kind of not freely but very willingly hurt people or yes. use people and i think people who use the word i'm antisocial aren't using it in that way they understand the norms and they respect them too they understand mm -hmm. that you don't go to a party and start groping women or whatever it might be but they say i don't want to do that because i don't want to be around people right mm -hmm. that's why i think where antisocial comes from is that there are people who do not care about others they don't have the empathy they don't have the ability to say like that bothered you that i stole your daughter's bike from you oh mm -hmm. you know sometimes there's even uh, i've heard some cases where people say uh well i just learned that you really care about your daughter um and it's almost like they're kind of like aliens to some degree, not fully understanding how people can work, which I think is why that's another high horse I have, which is why I think there's a lot of TV shows about treating these people like they're in a zoo. Like, oh, they're so strange. We don't understand them. But what we were talking about before we recorded is all these people are suffering. And it is our job to understand their suffering and to try mm -hmm. to help them. And I've never found people to get better by saying, wow, you're really fucked up and you're a narcissist or you're antisocial you know they at the end of the day they still need compassion mm -hmm. i agree what do you think uh yeah i mean and this you know, introvert extrovert kind of falls in this category too right like you're kind of it's almost like um uh people who don't like to be social which is very celebrated in the united states as being in particular as being like um uh, extroverted um if they don't like that they're they're they get this negative label put on them you know which is it's almost like a way of shaming someone for not wanting to be socially interactive mm -hmm. at times you know because there's nothing wrong with not you know and it's totally different than saying like i'm against society and i will go against the laws and the norms of society because i don't agree with any of them like yes. a criminal for example exactly yeah right so um Oh, can we can we talk about trauma bonding? I, I'm, unless you have no, no, no. I was gonna go to some my other ones, but uh, yeah, trauma bonding. Well, you share what your thoughts are on it. First. Well, I, this is funny because I hear this a lot from like people I've worked with, and they use it incorrectly all the time because they say it's like this idea of of their trauma and my trauma, and we are in a relationship and we shared our experiences, and now we're bonded because of our trauma. When really that's not what this is. Trauma bonding is like part of what we, we would call like an abuse cycle um, scenario where the typical thing is, is like, you know, a, someone, a relationship is, hap is going along fine. Then something blows up and there's a traumatic abuse thing. Maybe someone, one person beats the other person, right? And then they feel bad about it. So then there's like a sucking up period and they're like love bombing them, which is also one of the like showering them with love, right? And or hoovering, as I like to call it, they're sucking up, mm -hmm. and then the cycle happens again, right? And the trauma bond happens because the person who's in the relation, well, they both like the, the 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 abuser and the victim gets sucked into this bond, which is the, the abuser basically um, 
uses this cycle to bond to the person who's who's um falling in love with the idea of the hoovering period so like they're so happy about that hoovering period that that part where that's really really good because that person's sucking up after the bad thing happened that they are not able to break free and they're connected in that way because that cycle goes around and around and the trauma happens and it's painful but then they look forward to the good part which sometimes can be months or weeks or days and they don't really um have ability to break free because of the bad part so they're bonded like together i I always picture like um like cells you know Mm. they're like connected and you Mm -hmm. can't break them apart because they're stuck together so the abuser has the abuse part that's bonded to the person who's allowing it and then the victim has the hoovering part that's bonding them to that abuser because that's how i view it anyways so you look, skept- you look skeptical but no no I'm, I'm just i'm not as familiar with this term so i'm okay. learning as you're describing think this. of it like two circles right mm-hmm. and they intersect the abusive abuser needs the abuse part mm-hmm. to be able to keep them doing their thing right and the person, the abuser's abuse part um, is what the other person hooks into the, the after. So I wish I could draw it for you. That's how I envision it anyways. So like they're two inter- overlapping circles, but they're not overlapping in the same section. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the person who, need, who needs that um, good period, and, and a lot of times in drama, um, abuse cycles, the good period is extremely good. Like it might be vacations and gifts and flowers and all kinds of stuff, right? And the bad parts are really bad, but they forget that. So like, that's how I picture it anyways. Mm -hmm. So do you have a different viewpoint on it? No, no. I've heard it in context, but I wouldn't be able to give you a really strong definition. Um, Is it cool if I share some other terms that were not in this article that I think are misused? And I want to get your thoughts on them. Yeah, absolutely. Bipolar. Oh geez, <laughs> uh, what, what? How do you think people use that term? How have you heard people say? Well, it? I think anyone who who has strong emotions, uh, one way or the other, they they assume that they're bipolar. Mm-hmm. So, which, you know, is not true. I think I've seen it most in like, uh, she was she was sad. She left the room. She came back, and she was ecstatic. That's not bipolar disorder. No. That is just a person who is functioning normally and has a, a mood swing. Bipolar disorder is having periods, and by definition, a manic episode lasts at least a week, or a hypomanic is at least four days yes. of having these kinds of things. When I was at a interning at a hospital, I once knew a kid for three months, he was manic. For, for three months he was manic? Yeah. That is a long time. He was telling me how he was like traveling to Mars and stuff like that, and yeah, wouldn't stop talking and all that. Um, what about OCD? Obsessive compulsive? Mm-hmm. Like that, oh, I have OCD. About oh, this. it's like anyone who has weird tendency, like repetitive type things. But that's not typically like, oh, I have OCD, so that's why I like my house clean. Like, yeah, maybe you just like your house clean. You know, right? And what is OCD more accurately? Would you well, say? it's a way of managing anxiety and using obs- obsessions and compulsions to try to calm that anxiety, like thinking about things constantly or mm-hmm. doing things like. You're afraid of like getting sick, so you wash your hands a hundred times every mm-hmm. time, every day, mm-hmm. stuff like that, or be or other types of behaviors or thoughts, even you know mm-hmm. those kind of things. Counting, things counting, like, like certain numbers are bad, other numbers are good. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked quite a, f- I've I've had actually quite a few OCD clients, and they're fascinating to work with because it's like they're all so different, and the things that they connect with, like clients some clients are like oh all all odd numbers are bad except seven and i'm like well why seven right and it doesn't make sense like but they figured and or someone will go i like only numbers with only round numbers and any other number is like not okay and but there's a thing about numbers and somewhere and sometimes i have no idea where that comes from and other times we can walk it back to something but there's a comfort in that that is different than going my house is dirty and i like it to be clean and i think the difference here is like there's a, a high level of distress, which is like, uh, I have to count in this way or else I'm gonna feel horrible versus like, I prefer to have my house clean. People with OCD, they cannot function unless they unless they do this compulsive behavior, yeah. but the compulsion is then ruining their lives. It's taking away from their ability to enjoy. Yeah, and, and the way this might manifest too is that as anxiety goes up, the, the like let's say if we're talking about getting ready for work like the average person might spend 20 minutes right if they're male probably women it's like an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> whatever 
Shots gonna fired. Get, gonna get hate, hate mail. But anyways, so let's say it's 20 minutes and a person's anxiety goes up, who, someone who suffers from OCD, they start having rituals and things that get added in that morning routine. Now they're at 35 minutes and they have more anxiety and now they're doing even more things and it's an hour and 15 minutes before they can get out the door because they have to do all these things, right? You check the door again. For the over lock. and over. Right. Or And it, it's, not be, it's not when you leave your house and you wonder whether you've closed your garage door and you go back to check. That's not OCD, Mm-mm. you know? It would be if you have to open and close it a bunch of times, right? Or you drive in a circle 30 times. Yeah, around your house and check it 10 or 11 times in a row just to make sure because that will last time. It could be that, you know, the 11th time, I probably, it might be open if I go back. So it's in the, the, I think the big distinguishing feature is if you just want your house clean versus checking your garage, is one of those is, one of those isn't doing anything for your life and one is, drastically impairing your ability to live yeah thank you yes impairment that's mm-hmm. a function it's a function of ocd it, right? yes it, there's a functional impairment right like you're late for work or you're missing your time with your daughter because you drove in a circle 30 times checking the door yes. versus like i clean my house what is that impairing nothing yeah you know? May, unless you did it because you feel like i need to or you know and then that, that case it would start to look more like ocd right if it was like oh i missed my daughter's recital because i had to clean my kitchen again for the third time in the day, you know? Yeah, and like cleaning your house twice a week and you set aside time for it and you complete that task in that time, that's not OCD. You just like things clean. It's time man. That's good time man. Yeah, that's different, you know? So, okay, I like that one. What if, um, I know we only have so much time, but what if we moved to our, well, anything you want to say about this before we go to the listener question? Uh, Just last thing is, is, you know, if you're using these terms or other terms, I I would try to, avoid the reddits and things on the internet like that uh, instagram to try to like i think you need to either talk to a therapist or do a little more research into some of these and just make sure that when you're throwing stuff around that it's actually accurate what you're saying Mm -hmm. you know and just be aware of stuff yeah because some of this is i think it's one it's the byproduct of psychology being more accepted is that some of these terms have seeped into the you know, vernacular of, of society and they're just using them more freely. Absolutely. But people don't really know what they mean. So, no. Yeah. And I, a phrase I like is words mean things, you know, and yes. when you say things like if you use them in the wrong way, I think it ultimately could lead to a lot of harm, you know, mm-hmm. um, or some harm or misunderstanding. And I don't know, it's inefficient. Okay. Listener question. Uh, this person didn't put their name but they're from Australia. So, hello. Good day, mate. (laughs) My therapist told me I should try group therapy. She says I don't have enough people I trust in my life. She is right, but I'm scared. Would you guys recommend it, and how do I overcome the anxiety of being in it? But it, I assume, the group. Yeah. So what do you think, Mingo? So just group therapy as a way of developing trust in others? I think that seems like a good good you know treatment modality for someone who struggles with um i I think you overcome this by continuing to go to therapy because you're likely going to have some negative emotions um and potentially some minor conflicts with people in the group like that you might not like certain people or whatever and that's all a part of group therapy i think if someone if i've sent someone or recommended group therapy similarly you know and they've come back and said well i don't like anyone in the group and i would say well that means you should keep going to the group (laughs) it's working like because your initial defenses are to avoid if that's what you struggle with Mm -hmm. so the avoidance you're feeling now is just part of your normal way you approach because it is a social environment so so i would encourage you well she didn't give her name no okay this person he or she yeah yeah so i would encourage you to pursue this and maybe make it a um Give yourself the commitment of going for six months and, and then assessing whether you like it or not. Doesn't matter how you feel unless you're physically ill, like you have the flu or something. I'd say go and keep going and p- attend to your feelings and then also see your individual therapist, you know, to unpack some of the things maybe that you're experiencing. What I'm hearing is this person is uncomfortable at going and they're looking maybe for a reason why they should go. What would you, why is group therapy helpful for someone like this? Well, in that environment, it's, it's, what you fear in society is happening in that room, but you are under the safety of a professional mm. who's managing the interactions to make sure that no one gets injured beyond repair. 
So they may encourage interactions with group members that would be therapeutic, mm-hmm. and they would guide and help and, and you know link people together and things. But if you're out, if you're in a room with eight people who are strangers, and there's no therapist, that could be reaffirming what you fear because there's no. Where if you go in a room with a therapist, that person can help make sense of it for for everyone of what's going on, and it's a way of like helping you kind of navigate this. So you get like tools. I guess maybe. they can protect the group too. protect the group, protect the individual. Yep. So I think um, I want to say it depends on uh, there's two types of groups, which I think y- yeah. you're leaning towards process group, which yes. is the more I say I don't want to say common, but it's been the more like historically evident one is that you go in a group of people. They may or may not have mm, some things or no things in common with you and you talk about things and it's really helpful because uh, like you, I think, I don't know if you use this word, but it's a microcosm of how we connect with others is that a lot of people can really struggle just at saying their feelings or being vulnerable to others or giving mm-hmm. feedback or listening to other people struggle. And this is a way to teach people, huh, when that person said that they went through a divorce, it reminded me of my divorce. And then I was able yes. to connect with them. And then I felt a sense of connection. I felt a sense of helping and I felt that they were helping me in return. And that is a really valuable thing because humans are very social Maybe, you know, on, I can't think of an animal besides ants that are more social than human. Um, <laughs> are ants really social? I never knew that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's some really interesting things I've learned about how, um, yeah, they'll just have cities of ants fighting against another city. And there's these wars that are going on between ants and they communicate. But anyways, um, yes. So uh, process groups are great because they provide support, feedback connection, communication, uh, vulnerability, and they reduce loneliness. Mm -hmm. And skills groups are very, very different. They are places that are led by therapists that are more like a class. Yes, like psychoeducation. Exactly. Um, The most common one is what's called a DBT skills group, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, where it's expected that there's just so many things in DBT to learn that you need to, you can have a therapist, but really that's not the right be- that the situation. You want to go to this group that lasts like 90 minutes. You go for, I don't know how many times, but I think it's like probably six to nine months. And you learn a variety of skills to manage uh, the distress you're having and also how to improve communication, how to be more mindful, how to be more mm-hmm. appreciative. Uh, and it's not really about opening up and connecting with other people. It's about going there to learn about how to get this kind of skill. Yes. Um, so like I said, DBT would be one more recognition therapy. That's a common one for people with antisocial personality disorder. Okay. And that's another one that's more skills-based as well. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on that one? The skills-based? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you've, uh, you've explained it well. You know, um, like a s- even simpler, like doesn't have to be psychology. A similar skills-based group would be example, like if you go to a class to learn about how to have a baby. That, mm-hmm. And there's a group of people there. That's a skills-based group in itself, too. It's not necessarily psychological by nature, mm-hmm. but it's like anytime you're learning something, mm-hmm. you know, like a classroom would be a skills. You, there it is. Like It's more like a classroom. It is. And we're a process group, which is what it sounds like your therapist is recommending to, to the question, uh, listener qu- question, is more of like a in vivo kind of a way of exploring the feelings that happen when you're in these moments. And not that you have to go and be that vulnerable right away, but a good therapy group would start to pull out emotions that people are experiencing in the moment so that you can learn how to regulate a little better so when you get out in the real world and you do this with random people, you don't feel so upset, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You have a better understanding as to how to connect with people, yes. how, to, how to communicate with them, how to, when they're struggling, how do you step up to yeah. help them and vice versa yep. too. Correct. It could be life-changing too. It can. So powerful. Yeah, I love I love um, facilitating groups. Big fan of it. I, I've seen a lot of people, myself included, have, through group work, um, have really grown a lot. So, and it's just it's fun if you do a group like long enough and you see the beginning and end point, and you're like, wow, like this person has really transformed their life, you know. And yeah. I think for men in particular, groups are really effective um, because they're we're more of, tend to isolate, especially as we age. But of course, great for women also. So. I think men in general are becoming more lonely. Yes. You know? That's a sad reality. Even yeah. I've seen some research s- suggesting that too. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, I know we only have so much time yes. for you. Uh, do you have a guilty leisure you want to share before we wrap up? Well, not so much a gu- guilty leisure, but given that you're wearing the bull's hat, I'm curious if you've seen the movie Air or not. I'm going to see it this weekend. Okay. I just want to tell you, it's fantastic. Really? Really good. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, well done. The dialogue is just superb. Whoa. Um, we took our whole family to see it, and we have a 14, 10, and 9-year-old. And there's quite a bit of swearing, which I didn't realize it was rated R, but that's the only reason it's rated okay. R. There's not any, there's nothing. And there were moments where you're like, you felt like you were there in the creation of like the Jordan brand and Nike and the story. It's really a crazy story when you think about it. So I, I think you'll really like it. Um, I was kind of unsure going into it, but now I'm excited. It's awesome. Cool. Yeah, you'll love it. Yeah, big. I was a big fan of it. Um, the kids all lo- loved it. They were rowdy at times because there were moments where like, Swear, you know, kids love swearing, and yeah. you see these interactions between the agents and you know, like Nike and all that stuff. So, it's a hell of a story, and you forget that it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, which is kind of interesting because they've been in everything, right? And you kind of just fall in love with the characters. So, I'm, I'm curious if I'm hope I'm not overselling it, but I really liked it. Our whole family loved it. I thought it was fantastic, and it's a good story about like going after what you want. You know, cool. So. Well, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, thank you for hyping it up. What about you? Um. I saw Everything Everywhere All at Once recently. Have you oh, yeah. seen it? Well, we almost watched it a few times. Is it, I, I, I don't know. I'm a skeptical. Is it any good? I loved it. Okay. I thought it was amazing. Um, it's the only movie I've seen. It's a sci-fi kung fu comedy, and it works really well. And it also takes in concepts from like, um, like uh, physics, too. Um, it just, it's just very, very interesting. And and dimensions and things like that but also it's like it's very comical there's a lot of moments where they're just like oh my gosh you're just trying to be ridiculous here yeah. but it's over the top in a way that it's like they balance this amazing kung fu with this really interesting physical um like uh multiple dimensions and then it's like they just do like some silly thing on top of it it's not like a movie i've seen before in that sense okay so I loved it too, and I think it won Best Picture. It did. My brother said it was overrated, but a little bit. But I think it was properly rated. Yeah, I, I, I've started to think about. I'm like, I've had it in the like, okay, I'm gonna watch it tonight kind of thing, and then I never do. So mm-hmm. maybe I will. I think it's longer though. I think it's like over two hours, two and a half hours, something okay. like that. So dedicate yourself some time. Okay. But it, I personally think it's worth it. And if you watch it, tell me how what you think. I will. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else? for our episode today. No, I think this has been good. So that has been another edition of Drinks and Trinks. My name's Ingo Weigel. I'm John Deku. And we'll see you guys next time. Later, peeps. Later, peeps.